Welcome back to 1A, a podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Columbia, South Carolina. 1A is a podcast designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. Reverend Squires is the pastor for counseling here at First Presbyterian Church, and I'm Josh Fleming, the pastoral intern to the college ministry. Today's episode begins a new series discussing the transition from high school to college. We begin by examining how the broader culture views the college experience and how that perception can sometimes be crushing. If you have any comments about our show or questions about something you hear in this episode, please don't hesitate to contact us. You can find all our info on our website at firstpreskolumbia.org. If you'd like to stay aware of new episodes, you can download our app by searching for First Presbyterian Church of Columbia, South Carolina in the app store of your choice. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and to those around you. Let's get to the conversation. Welcome back to 1A. I'm your host, Josh Squires, and if you've just listened to the opening, you heard a new voice, and that new voice goes by an old name, Intern Josh, but it's not Intern Josh Adair. It's Intern Josh Fleming. It's a Josh, different Josh. It's a different right. Josh. It would not be 1A if we didn't have two Joshes <laughs> to confuse the mess out of everybody. I am happy to come in and confuse the audience at home, so yeah. Yeah. And I've actually, if you're listening at home, I have, I feel like I have this bond with you. I've been editing the 1A podcast for quite some time. And though I've never had a chance to talk on here, I'm excited to go through this next uh, chapter with you guys. We're glad to have you. Thank you for being willing to be on and to learn this skill set. I'm, I'm pretty sure that when pastoral interns come on, the idea of editing and creating podcasts is nowhere on their idea of what they're going to learn. It's not right. like what you're thinking. Uh, no. Yeah. This Pastoral is my ministry, ministry experience yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. So appreciate your willingness to be on and your willingness to edit for pretty much the last year or so. You've been doing a lot of editing for this podcast. So thank you for being the man behind the glass and that nobody has ever gets to see or hear. And they get to hear you now. Also joining me is our assistant college director, Nate Seske. Nate, thanks for being with us. Of course, I'm happy to be here. I've been on here a few times before, and I'm excited to be addressing some college issues once again. That's right. So Josh, of course, is one of our pastoral interns, and he's the pastoral intern specifically to our college ministry. And so uh, as we've been having him think about what would be some good topics for us to focus on, one of those was just counseling issues in the college context, which is why we brought Nate in here. So I'm going to kick it over to you, Josh, let you go ahead and start asking some of the questions you thought would be good for us to talk about. Absolutely. That's right. I was I was thinking about this, and you know, we're midway through the summer as of recording this, and uh, that means the fall is just around the corner, a new school year is coming up, and for a lot of people, it means a new grade, but for some, it means an even bigger transition. They're moving to the college campus or starting some sort of experience in the university setting. And also associated with that is being away from the parents maybe for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought it'd be a a great thing to do maybe a mini series on how can we help our students and the families of students to launch well Mm -hmm. into the college experience. And I just kind of want to open up things and get you guys thoughts. What, what does our culture sort of broadly say the college experience should be? And so what are students sort of the voices they're hearing from all around them as they're preparing to go into the college campus? Yeah, that's a great question. I think Nate will probably have a better insight here. A, he's closer to the college experience himself. 
and uh, having come come through it, I'm I'm much older than both Josh <laughs> and Nate. Um, and Nate and Josh both being their ministry area, I, I think you guys have a better understanding. The one thing that pops to mind for me that I think that I see often in the counseling room, just generally about this phase of life, is that people are often told and expect that the college years are the best years of your life. Mm. And that is crushing a ton of people, that they expect these four years to be the best years of their life. And instead, they're mundane years, Mm. they're hard years, they're stressful years, they're sad years, lonely years. And if you begin to get this narrative for yourself that says that these four years need to be part of the pinnacle, they need, they need to go on the Mount Rushmore mm. of experiences for me, then all of a sudden you begin to think that, oh no, like I, I've missed something that's unreclaimable and the rest of my life is going to be so much worse. And I just don't think that that's true. I, I think that there's a couple of things that happen here for people when they think about the college experience. The first one is just a phenomenon called rosy retrospection. It happens for everybody about everything. And it's when we look back at a phase of our life and all we remember are the highs. Uh, And so we tend to not remember the middle and some of the lows. Like if it's a really, if, if it's a really big low, like we've lost somebody that we loved or a traumatic breakup or we've been hurt in some way, of course we remember those. But other than those more extreme examples, we tend to cut out a lot of the mundane middle. It's just the good old days. Right. Yeah. And it, it, it quite easily becomes the good old days. Mm. And as you look back and as adults look back and they're in the middle of their careers that have stabilized, their families that are growing but also have their own problems, marriages that are wonderful but also come with its host of issues when you look back at college, what you tend to do is romanticize that period of time where it felt like you had less responsibility oh, yeah. and more freedom and all those things. And you just you just forget how hard college really was mm. and how ready you were and anxious you were about getting out into the quote-unquote real, real world. world yeah. um, mm. and, and so I think that people get into that experience and they say, well, this isn't what er- all my movies and all my media and all my friends and and parents have made college out to be. It's not been this incredible experience. And then the second thing that I think gets people is this whole thing that is the hedonism paradox. Mm. And the hedonism paradox is that when we pursue happiness, when it becomes the goal, happiness, satisfaction, joy, when it becomes the goal, we find ourselves most likely to be anxious and sad. Mm. One of the reasons why first world countries lead the world in rates of suicide. When you're busy, satisfaction and joy tend to be a byproduct rather than a goal. And so when people are in college and they're in college for the experience of joy and happiness, there are moments like that. I mean, you go to a certain sporting event and everybody's in that same emotional register that's super high and excited and all that. And that's wonderful. You have certain events here or there and that's fine. But if that's really your goal in college is to have this joyous, satisfied experience rather than to earn something, I'm going there to get educated to learn how to do something for an end, then you'll find yourself, when you're not 
joyful when you're not overly satisfied, which is a lot of the time, you're actually compiling anxiety and sadness. Mm, that could be um, that crushing factor you talked about a minute ago. Absolutely. I've heard our cultural moment referred to uh, somewhere as sort of this age of amusement. Yeah. And I feel like that sort of speaks to what you're saying is people are, look, let me go and find a way to be amused for four years or whatever it is. And, yeah. and I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll take some classes along the way. That's but. right. That's right. And, and I want to come back to this. I, I really do think that colleges even have more and more geared themselves to experiences mm. rather than education, trying to be a purveyor of experiences rather than helping people be ready for whatever vocation that they're supposed to go into. And I say that as not just one who's a cynic because back in my day, right? It's so easy to be the back in my day guy, you know? But because my wife's an HR person and more and more they're, tr- they're finding it harder to find people who are graduates. This is at a business level who are competent when they graduate. More and more colleges tend to be cultivating experiences for their students rather than helping to train them. So those would be the two things that I would say about like expectations for people, even as they go to college that can also, that can often lead to this sort of crushing effect of when I actually mm. get there. And it's not the most joyous, wonderful, free experience of my life. Right. Right. Yeah. Josh, I think that's really helpful. And something I would add, and I think is pretty related to those issues. Uh, even as I think of the competency of graduates is the fact that people are going and looking for identity more than skill set. They're looking mm. for, who am I? That's the mm. question they're asking rather yeah. than I am moving towards this degree because I have an intended purpose with it after graduation. Right. And that is something I've heard students wrestle with from parents telling them, you know, you're going to college to find yourself, peers, aunts, uncles, grandparents. I've had a few that have had members of their church or different people on staff at their churches saying, you know, these four years are the four years you're going to find yourself. Mm. And then I think two assumptions are then built into the student's mind. The first is going into college, I don't know who I am. Right. There's an unnecessary anxiety created, I think, by that type of language. Rather than being told this is who you are. Right. Or confirming, especially maybe somebody growing up in the church, that you are one who is in Christ. They're now encouraged to be like, I don't know who I am. Right. Now I need to find who I am. I didn't even know I was looking for that. Yep. Now I need to find it. And I'm supposed to do it in a four-year period. Yeah. And that clock is now ticking. Yeah. And I'm walking in. I'm meeting people in my dorm room. I'm meeting people in my classes. And this underlying anxiety has been created that before I leave this campus, I need to find out who I am. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, who I am is going to be so dependent on what majors I have. Yeah. So now I've changed my major major six times before the middle (laughs) of spring of my freshman year. Right. Because I'm seeing the consequences of what classes I'll be taking and who will be around going down for the next four years. Right. Uh, So the question of identity, I think, becomes a really big one. Go to college so you can find who you are. And that's, that's come from in the church, out of the church, in family, out of family. Uh, but that's just a popular cultural perspective on what the college experience is like. I think, I think that's a, a really good insight, Nate. I think that identity, th- there is a sense in which as we move from adolescence to adulthood, we're more and more forming who we are. That, that's beginning to calcify and... Even neurobiologically, 
women's brains are malleable. The, the, the brain will kill itself from adolescence all the way for women until about 22, 23. For men, adolescence all the way until about 25 to 28. And so there is a sense in which you are more and more becoming who you are. Hmm. But it's not finding an identity. It's not mm-hmm. who am I, because who you are as an individual has a rested identity in Christ. And so there are like created identities and then identities as a creature. We are identified as those who are redeemed in Christ. That's who we are made to be. And then we create identities for ourselves. That is, you know, engineer. That Josh, you were an engineer for That's a while, right? right? Or it might be artist, or it might be pastor, or whatever it is. And those can take a long time for us to form and truly understand. Secondly, a lot of that identity formation, and I I won't say creation, but formation as we more and more understand who the Lord created us to be and what he created us to do, there's a segment of that that is supposed to happen in that adolescent time frame. Somewhere around 11 and a half to 12 and a half for girls through about 16, 17, and then again for boys, 12 and a half to 13 and a half, up to like 17 and a half, 18 and a half, where you're really trying a whole bunch of things. Not, not necessarily like, oh, I'm going to go try drinking or alcohol or sex or something like that. Not that, but trying on different, like, am I a believer? Am I not a believer? Mm. Am I a conservative or am I a progressive? Am I a. Gamecock fan or am I a Clemson fan or whatever it has to be, whatever your identity markers are about who you are. Typically that has happened in those areas. And when I say typically, you can all go all the way back to classical Greek schooling, which would tell you that children from roughly five, six until adolescence, you were to give them all the rules. Mm -hmm. And then once they hit like 13 all the way through up to 16, 17, you help them learn the argumentations. And then once they hit 18, you give them the implementation, what they are to do. And it's in that argumentation realm where people really should be arguing internally and externally to get a more, not solidified, but a general idea of who I am, Mm. right? That whole thing has been pushed. It's been delayed for some reason. It's one of the main thrusts of the book, The Coddling of the American Mind, is that what we have done is delayed that developmental phase until college. And so people who are entering college now no longer have a base foundation knowing who they are because they've been allowed to push. But they actually go in with no base foundation of knowing who they are. And so now everything is on the table. All the exploration is open, and it must be completed by the time I leave. So a process that usually ran from 12 to 22 now goes from 18 to 22. Wow. Right? And people again, the people are just getting crushed by that expectation mm-hmm. that they're going to find their whole complete identity sometime in those four college years. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what the Lord wanted me to do with my life until I was 35. Mm-hmm. Right. So like some of that, we've just got to be able to kind of take off of people and say, Mm -hmm. you're going to make your best guess of what the Lord's calling you to do. You're going to put your best foot forward every single day to do what the Lord puts in front of you. You're going to have some wonderful experiences, but you're also going to find out throughout your entire life that some of the things that you thought you were when you were 22 aren't going to be what you are when you're 32 or 42. Just to add to that, too, all that's happening within that 18 to 22 age period of life where six months from now, your life could look wildly different. Yeah. For most people, if they're 30 and married, 
they might have a trajectory of where their life is going to look when they're 35. Yeah. But when you're 18 and you're single and you're going to a university, there's a lot of people that transfer. Yeah. There's a good chance you're not even in the same city next year. Right. Uh, so, so it's much can change. There could exactly. Be, yeah. Yeah. So much can change in a really short period that to, to be told you have to find your identity within the chaos of those circumstances, mm. I think adds an even higher level of anxiety for a lot of students. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to something you said a moment ago, and I've never quite heard it put that way, but this idea of having an, an internal argument. Yeah. And it sounds like you really need to have had that and, and at least done some of that on your own within your mind before you start being exposed to the full gauntlet of the external arguments, because otherwise you're simply unprepared for, uh, yeah. to, to answer and to, you know, have any sort of firm foundation of where you stand on a wide variety of issues. That's right. I, I think that adolescence, I think the Lord makes adolescence the way that he does. There, there is a neurobiological effect of adolescence. Mm. One of my favorite studies on adolescence is a study where they did this computer test, a hundred questions, and they asked three different groups this question. One group was, I believe it was age like seven to age 13, and then 13 to 18, and then like 18 to 25. Those are your three age groups. And they don't care about 99 questions on that test. They care about one question. They're only grading one question. Uh, the rest are just a mask, so you don't know what they're looking for. <laughs> and the one question was, would you eat a cockroach? That's it. That's the question. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So it took the elementary kids, 7 to 13, it took them half a second to say no. It took adults, 18 to 25, a quarter of a second to say no. It took adolescents a full second to say no. Okay. Wow. Why would it take the adolescents twice as long as the kids and four times as long as the adults? And the going theory, I mean, obviously you can't peer in, but the going theory is, is that it takes them an extra step. Do I really think that I shouldn't eat a cockroach because I believe it or because I've always been told that that's true? Wow. And that's, that's, that's the sort of step that should be going on inside an adolescent. It kind of freaks parents out a lot when their adolescents are at that phase because they're right. arguing with them a bunch. Mm. And they shouldn't argue with their parents in a disrespectful way. Right. But interestingly, and similar research, um, there's a book out there that collates some of this data. Nurture Shock, I believe, is the name of it. It's been 10 years since I read it. But that it would say that some of the research has shown that, are, that adolescents argue with the people they respect. Hmm. If they don't respect you, they're not arguing with you. They're just giving you the answer they think you want. That's a sign of disrespect for non-adolescents. Mm. So if your kid is arguing with you when they're nine a bunch, then that's a sign that you're not leading well. If they're arguing with you in a respectful way when they're 14, it's a sign you are. Wow. Mm. And, and so it's hard for parents to, to judge that. Sure. Um, but it should be something that's going on both external and internal so that by the time they get to... 18, they have at least some sort of like base layer of identity, right. tested identity formation. Mm. And therefore, that's a launching pad for them to more explore without the pressure to ultimately explore right. who they are. Well, that makes so much sense. I mean, God's given us minds, the ability to think. We should be able to come up with 
compelling arguments, even within ourselves, that can counteract some of the things we'll hear out in the culture. Yeah, that's great. You know, I think this provides a, a natural stopping point for today. Next time, we're going to be looking more at the believer's view of the college experience and, and specifically at how our union with Christ and our identity in Him defines our approach to this very, as we've seen, unique season of life. Reverend Squires, Nate, thanks again for being here today. This is, it's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it. To our listening audience, if you have any family members who are recent graduates or maybe getting ready to head off to the university, please share this with them. Let them know we'll have more content coming out as the summer progresses. Again, we hope this ministry is a blessing to you. And until next time, goodbye and God bless you.